Good afternoon, everyone out there in YouTube land, as well as podcast land. If you're listening to us in a couple of hours, it's after further review with Mark Ferrer, John Pelkey. Jeff Taylor is our producer on the board, setting up the whole shebang here with YouTube. We're live, John Pelkey. And uh, I, for one, uh, feel energized about it. Yourself, I know I know for the most part, you know, you, you got a lot of good reviews of the deep dive, but for the most part, you eschew effort. You eschew any sort of preparation for a show. And, the, and, and, and when you feel at your best is when you're just thrown into something. So no, I'm, I'm assuming today, right now, you're feeling pretty good. I am feeling pretty good, except for the fact that, you know, I'm looking at myself now, and my hair is now at its junior high school length. And I'm kind of yeah. looking like, you know, it's the club tour of the uh, the band Firefall. And I'm the keyboard player. I'm, I wasn't the guy in the band when they had the hits, but I came shortly thereafter when the guy who did sure. write the hits moved on to score television shows and stuff. And so now this is uh, now I'm the guy who you know, got the uh, county fair circuit on keyboard for Firefall singing the uh, uh, the baritone harmonies. All right. I'm in New York, by the way, uh, folks, uh, in my daughter's apartment right now in Astoria. Uh, you know, uh, cases are spiking in Florida, so I thought I'd bring it all the way back to New York because they've, they've settled down. Yeah. Their cases have, have really... Well, uh, you'll they, teach they, them. Yes, exactly. I will teach them. Uh, and uh, I'm not the only one out of state right now. Jeff Taylor, our producer, where are you, my friend? I'm in North Georgia. I'm. Uh, we're staying. We got the family here at the lake. You know, this is, I'm. I'm not in my studio, so all these things I have to adjust so I don't look ridiculous when I. I don't want to end up on that website we were talking about before the uh, the show started. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm in North Georgia. There, I. I I'm going to be very not present during this show because if I turn up uh, my microphone too much, you're going to hear the 30 kids running around the whole time. Ooh, A lot of background noise. 30. My goodness. Yeah. Okay, so uh, this first segment, when we get to it, was going to be a round robin. So maybe I'll. I'll no, I'll, I'll round robin with to, you. I'll round robin with you. I was just letting the wanted, fans know that that's why. I wanted to ask uh, you guys what you think about this idea. The whole idea that uh, cases are spiking right now in Florida, in California, uh, not in New York, some of these other places that were really strictly on lockdown. But a lot of states, I think 23 or so, are, are raising. But, you know, a lot of these things, and all the science agrees on, on a few of these points, actually. A few of these things I'm about to say both sides agree on, which is a, a rarity uh, today. You have multiple uh, things. Both have sides agree. Things. Wow. Yes, exactly. Both sides agree that it's mostly the kids, it's 20s and 30-year-olds, uh, under 40-year-olds, if you will, that are, that are getting it, that are the reason for the spike. Um, and... We all agree that the mortality rate is going down. The deaths haven't spiked like the cases have spiked. And I'm wondering if if we think this is the new normal, that we're just going to go ahead and do this, keep the vulnerable population as, as, as best we can isolated and do our best if we're going to, you know, be be around those folks if we have to be around those to do everything the cdc says and and even in the opening up do everything the cdc says. but is this the new normal in other words are we ever going to go back to it being shut down even if the cases continue to spike john do you think they'll ever go oh wait a minute we shouldn't have opened the bars i don't see a lot of uh energy in that uh, in that direction frankly when a lot of uh a lot of politicians local and national are refuse to commit to anything in the fall. And I get that because we simply don't know what, uh, where it's going to go, but I don't see too many people who are, um, 
are, are acquiescing to the idea that if we get a second wave, we're going to have to shut everything down again. I think the thinking is yeah. we're going to, you know, perhaps take some tighter, tighter protocol. But I to go back to the shutdown that we saw in March, April, May, I, I, I really don't believe there's a lot of stomach for that on either side, frankly. I, I agree. I mean, even Gavin Newsom, who is a very liberal uh, governor of California, says no, we're not going to we're not going to we're not yeah. going to go back. So, Jeff, is this the new normal? Is this what we're doing? Is it just going to go on from here in terms of if there's any change from here on out, it's going to be more opening up? I believe that we are going to continue to open up. And I, I think that there there may be places, depending on how hard they get hit, like obviously New York is a place where people are on top of everyone. They may have to take different uh, a different route because of the fact that it's hard to isolate there. There are so many people in such a small amount of space that they may have to do things differently. But I do not think that we will go to full shutdown even there. It'll just be uh, handled a little yeah. differently in the bigger cities but it is interesting as of today john pelkey uh it is phase two in new york and so that means outdoor dining and uh taylor my daughter and her boyfriend neil are up in tarrytown with neil's parents mm -hmm. uh, and right now bobby and i are, are ensconced my son in uh, her apartment in astoria so we're just going to plan on going out and outdoor dining yeah, we, we ought to you're gonna be out you know, it's New York for crying out loud. I'm just going to with a bunch of friends, share drinks, whatever. <laughs> Let's do it. It's over. Wrap it up. Move it on. Wrap it up. Now, we'll we'll be bringing our hand sanitizers. We'll be social distancing. Yeah. We'll be bringing masks. But ah. I mean, I, I think, you know, let, let me just say this, though. I think people having been through it once already and you know, most of the misinformation about the things that we can do that help have been dismissed. I think most people know. Uh, or at least believe that to some extent wearing masks will will be a, a helpful thing, certainly distancing, washing your hands and sanitizer. So I do think that if this comes back again and we do have to have, for lack of a better term, a partial shutdown, I also think people will be more will more quickly go into that mode. So that may also uh, mitigate it to some extent. So, uh, you know, I'm just sort of hopeful for that. Uh, I've been... A couple of places. I was out uh, this weekend at the farmers market. Yeah, yeah, I was out the farmers market. Farmers market. Yeah, over in uh, over. Is in it a, was it a wet farmers market, John Pelkey? No, it was no. It was Winter Garden. It was not a no. It wasn't a wet market. The hell, uh, oh man, but, you never know. Oh my never know. god. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I'd say eighty percent of people were wearing masks in that open area and we yeah, uh we really cool. only encountered uh also went got a cup of coffee uh, to walk around and went <laughs> into <laughs> went into a uh went into an establishment where people you know have to kind of line up to or to get a co it's a coffee shop i don't need to explain to everyone how a co coffee shop works or or maybe no. i do i don't know i may have some maybe it's been so long maybe it's been so long since anyone's been to one yeah what does that involve it's, it's curious it's a curious thing um and there were only out of probably the 15 to 18 people who were in line and stuff when i went in and out uh, i think two people who didn't have their masks on and I mean, you're going to you're right. going to run into that. So I think, uh, yeah, you know, I'm relatively hopeful. All relatively right. Well, hopeful. I preferred the show, by the way, when your name was PowerPoint. I know you've changed it to Mark Ferrero. Oh, I did. I did that. I, I thought that I could uh, name the PowerPoint something different, but it turns out it I, names did your you name. Re, did you rename me, uh, Jeff, because you've spelled my name wrong? That's fine. Oh, did I? 
Oh, I well, the R's. Fine. Did I get the it R's in the wrong spell, places? It, yes, there's two R's. The first time that you see an R, that's where the two R's are. Oh, it man. is an improvement because moments ago his name was spelled P O W E R P O I N T. So that's even close. That's you, we're getting there, Mark. We are doing a. I don't know what you're talking later. about. I mean, it looks what? right to me. There it is. We are doing a PowerPoint <laughs> later. We're going to talk about the top 10 Super Bowl quarterbacks. We've talked about top 10 quarterbacks overall. We're going to talk about top 10 Super Bowl quarterbacks. Spoiler and alert, Mark Rippon. Mark Rippon did not make the top 10. I will, I will do. I Yes, indeed. Oh I. It's a spoiler alert. He did not make the top 10. So what's, and, so what's uh, the top 10 look like? Number one, Joe Montana. Number two, Steve Young. Number three, John Brody, because frankly, he should have gotten there. Number four, Matt Jeff Cavanaugh, because he backed up someone who started for the 49ers jeff garcia, jeff garcia frankie yeah. albert even though he played before the super bowl era no i mean it's like wow you, you can project what they would have been if they would have made it sure and, uh, yeah it's populated sure. with san francisco quarterbacks now it is not but we're going to get to that we're going to get to a few other fun topics today including uh the nba in orlando and um you know people being a little cautious but also moving full speed ahead uh, but before we get to all of that folks We've got John Pelkey with today's progressive trivia. And feel free if you're watching us live, and I'm not sure. Do you know how many people are actually watching us at this point, Jeff? Two. You can see One. it on your screen there right next to the live. It says two people. And it's Tom and uh, and Lenny. Yeah. Frequent, do you see, do you frequent see, listeners. I don't see it. Not seeing that. Oh, okay. Well, maybe it. because I'm the host, I can see it. Yes, we got two listeners. We, we've right. got two. Twice as, twice as many as we expected. So at this point, we are right. killing it. We are killing it. Welcome in. Uh, feel free to chime in at the Progressive on your comments. Go ahead, Johnny. All right. Uh, we're looking for a Major League Baseball player, past or present. I played 20-plus years in the majors for five teams, 2,500-plus hits, 1,100-plus RBI, 250-plus home runs. 20-plus years in the major leagues, but played only one season in the American League. I played with Davey Lopes and Ray Knight. All right, that's pretty fun. Davey Lopes and Ray Knight. So that yeah. uh, that puts him in a definite uh, window. I thought there was one that, yeah, the kind of, you know, because normally, and full, full disclosure for people, we'll give you a little bit of the inside baseball. Normally when you're looking for played with, you first go to the guy's rookie year and you see some aging veteran who exactly. had been on a, you know, he'd been a Yankee his whole career. He spent that one year with the Brewers and no one remembers it because he was drunk in the uh, – dug out the whole time uh and then you look for somebody like at the end when the guys when whoever the guy is they're at the end of their career but this one mark i will say is not uh it's not at that deceitful right it's not totally designed to throw people off right not totally designed <laughs> right but i would it's like to get through the first series of clues i will admit that it is 20 years so that window that davy lopes and ray knight would def would normally provide us is not necessarily something we can bank on because it's 20 years for crying out loud. So it yeah. could be anywhere from the 70s to the 90s, I, I would assume. I would assume something something along those lines, and that hasn't really narrowed it down too much for any of us. <laughs> All right. Um, what I want to talk about right now, and this is the round robin bit, Jeff, is uh, what will happen and what should happen. We have a variety of topics that I want to put this out on. And when I when I pick a topic and I go to you, John, or I go to you, Jeff, or I go to myself, I uh, will ask Mark. What we do can you all think vote now on what we think Mark will do most frequently. 
Go to uh, <laughs> I'm going to start with me. I'm going to go with what I would. Just uh, in case we run out of time, let me start with me. Exactly. What, what should happen and what will happen. Okay. And um, I'm going to start with NASCAR and I'm going to start with you, John, with uh, the noose that was found in the garage of um, Bubba Wallace. Of Bubba Wallace, the only African-American uh, racer in the sport. Um, what will happen and what should happen and what will happen? And are they the same thing for you? Um, I think in this case, they may very well be the same thing. I, I From the last reports I saw, there there's most likely video of whoever has done this. And so I think, you know, there's obviously a chance that they were able to disguise their look enough that people wouldn't know who they were. If they didn't do that and, you know, their television shows dedicated to brainless criminals who forget things like... Uh, that there's video of things. If they find out who it is, I think that person will be fired, shunned to push away. Uh, maybe, uh, maybe even brought up on charges uh, for something violating someone's civil rights because it, it it could go to that point. But I think that will happen. I don't think there's any really. I don't think there'd be any pushback um, that if if indeed they find out who this is, that they aren't uh, punished to the point that you can do that for for what was done. And I would agree with that because just of the way NASCAR reacted right off the bat. Right. Just totally pissed off. Completely pissed off. And I'm not sure. We, we, we can't really be explicit on YouTube, correct, Jeff? Yeah, yeah. I, I put 18 and over. It's our channel. Okay. Yeah. All right. Fair enough. I, yeah, I, I, think, I think the rules well, that are works. that we can't show naked people. So let's not do okay. that. John, well, I know that bums you out. Deep dive. <laughs> yeah, shoot. That JFK book has, uh, you know, a whole spread in the middle there of uh, <laughs> a lot of naked people that he was uh, intimate with. Jeff, uh, yeah, so I agree with you, John. I, I think in this case, I think in this case, what should happen is what will happen. It, it they, He should be shunned. He should be excommunicated, he or she. He should be perhaps brought up on charges. Uh, the sport should react appropriately, uh, livid about that kind of thing, and they should um, be very straightforward about how that kind of thing will not be tolerated at all, and anyone who feels that way needs to stop watching our sport or change your behavior. I think all of that stuff probably will happen or close to it. Jeff, your feelings? So I apologize. They're singing happy birthday to my niece and now celebrating in the background. Perfect it sounds timing. Like, it sounds I'm like I'm in a large... Yeah. I'm just going to pretend the show's getting applause. So I, I agree with John. I, I my, my curiosity in this is, are we going to find out that it was one of the other drivers who, thinks, who thought that that was funny, which none of us are going to think it's funny. They were playing a joke, and now they're in that oh shit moment where, uh-oh, this didn't go the way that I thought it did, which is incredible to me, but I'm glad glad that there's video i hope they can figure out who it is and they should be shunned and they should uh suffer the consequences of doing uh doing what uh doing doing something that at no time in history has been less uh appropriate than right now even if it was a joke yeah Yeah, and and to that and to that point most people end up losing their jobs or getting in trouble because they're stupid more than they're evil so i guess there is that that chance that it's a bad joke but but in this day and age if you think that joke is even moderately appropriate 
some sensitivity training is probably uh, agreed the most mild thing but it never surprises me when it comes out that it was like one of his best friends that was like i'm gonna play a joke we're in alabama you know that has some history they flew the confederate flag over yesterday so i'm gonna play this joke because we're friends he'll get it it'll be funny and uh <laughs> whoops uh, that's not the way it went down sadly yeah, jeff, yeah. jeff could be right sadly it could be we you know it, there is uh not in this case but overall there is there is a bit of a um hesitancy in in um with people who have comic sensibilities these days you got to kind of take a step back before you go with a joke you know comedians probably you know of of all the privileged people out there Comedians probably have it worse right now than anyone else because I, it's like, oh, uh, let me. Oh, uh, I, I, what? I think that the rules should apply now, just like they always had. Hitler, you got to be real careful. Lynchings, you better be the best joke writer of all time. There's just some things that are taboo that you can't touch, and if you're going to touch them, to be Lincoln. You better be, be Lincoln, good, John. But you, we used to not be able to joke about Lincoln. Do you remember that? Yeah. Do you remember those days? We're I remember old. Johnny Carson always saying, well, that's a can't can't joke about Lincoln. I, I knew you guys were old, but Why were you guys around Lincoln? when it was a too soon moment for the Lincoln assassination? Uh, Mark and I used to do a stagecoach tour of the old West. And boy, I tell you, Dodge City in 89, you couldn't make a Lincoln joke. People did not go for that. I'm telling you. And he's talking right 1889, not 1989. Right. 1889, you and I, Dodge City. Oh, my goodness. That's probably what we would have done back then if we wouldn't have been, you know, if we wouldn't have been shot the second we left our house. If I had, or, an, if I had an hour back for every time I dragged Mark out of an old West whorehouse, I tell you what, I would be good Lord. I'd, yeah. I'd live forever. Got some stories there. <laughs> All right. So what will happen? What should happen? How about the NFL? What will happen with the NFL and what should happen with the NFL? Are people athletes? Uh, are they going to kneel? And if they are, is the reaction going to be muted? Is it just going to be sort of what the president has hinted at, that I'm just not going to watch it? Or are people going to go ap apoplectic? Or are some people going to protest differently, maybe in moment of silence after the anthem? You know, what will happen? What will happen in the fall once we start, if and when we start? And what should happen, John Pelkey, with the NFL with regard to the protests? Well, I do think that uh, there will be uh, numerous athletes taking a knee. I think there might be full teams. I think there'll be coaches as well. Um, yeah, what I, team? Get, get, give me a team right now off the top of your head that would the entire team would do that. Seattle. All right. Be, I mean, I'd, I'd jump on that it, one first. Wouldn't you, wouldn't you agree that seems to be one that, that – Sure. I mean, if that happens, I think I'd, I'd soften. The Saints. I think I'd soften a little bit on those, you know. The Saints. The Saints. Certainly maybe. a possibility. Yeah, that's a good one as well. And I think, and I think what's yeah, going to happen yeah. is there will wow. be a loud, probably pushback against it, as there was before. Um, I think it might be a little uh, less intense uh, than it was before, because I think there are people who've come around a little bit on, on this subject. I think there will be people who don't watch because of it. I, I, I don't think that will continue for an extended period of time. I think they might not watch for a while and then come back to the game. And I think uh, sooner than later, for better or for worse, even this will be forgotten. Does the NFL look the other way as well? Does Roger Goodell just allow it and it's, it's yes. just oh, a non-issue? Yes, absolutely, 100% out. I, 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 they have no choice in my mind. 
they have absolutely no choice. And if I can, just just momentarily, something interesting that I heard uh, today when I was watching Colin Coward is he went back and he looked at the uh, the television ratings in uh, with, with the kneeling situation in 2016 when the ratings dropped off uh, perceptibly. Um, and the interesting thing that he found was that the ratings dropped off less for pro football than it did for college football. And that it actually crept back up towards the end of the NFL season and did not during the college season. And what he looked at in addition to that was the ratings for news organizations at that point in time um, because it was an election year. And what the numbers really look like is, yes, there was a little bit of a drop off, but there was a drop off everywhere for everyone to funnel in and, and watch uh the news because it was a very you know the most polarizing election certainly of my lifetime that i can remember and uh and they went away in bigger numbers from college football than they did from pro football so maybe it was a little overstated that people stopped watching i think they'll complain i think some people will stop watching but i think eventually i i think that ship has sailed i think the nfl will, will allow it and i think that's that they don't have any choice it's what they should do so the will and the should are, are aligned again for you yeah. on this issue. Well, like NASCAR. Yeah, I think I like it. Good. Jeff? Yeah, I, I think that what will happen is that uh, there will be a lot of kneeling, and I think it'll be uh, – there are there's a chance it'll be a, a, some entire teams, but I think it'll just be a lot of people who feel uh, strongly about the cause, and I think it will be divisive. What I think should happen is I think they should all get together, and the first Sunday of the season, everybody on every team, every coaching staff, even fans in the stands, they should all get together and say, we're going to do this, we're going to make our point, and we're going to move on. Because we've gotten we've gotten the press that we want on this. We've gotten the point across. We're going to do it because we're not going to be told that we can't do it. You're going to have to see our protest and then move on. And I think that would be a way where a lot of people that said they weren't going to watch would say, eh, maybe I just won't watch the first week and then I'll come back. Uh, I still think that there's going to be a lot less people that have a massive outcry against it. I think I think the numbers are gonna gonna be less, but it's still gonna happen. And I think that if they figured out a way to put a message out and do it all organized and get it get it done, say, hey man, we feel this way. We're gonna protest it, but we're gonna respect the half of our fans or the quarter of our fans that really don't like this. We're going we're going to respectfully tell them that that we're going to do it, but then we're going to get back to playing football. I think that could be a way better way to to handle it. So you uh, you think you agree with John in terms of the will? Um, yeah. uh, you disagree a little bit with what should happen. I just you know, that's just that's what nice. I that's I mean, just I, what that, I think should happen. But that's I, I obviously what, am not advise. Yeah, what you think should happen, and that's you know that's the spirit behind this this uh, segment is that you know what do you think should happen if you were running things? And and I like that. I mean, I do like the idea of not having to alienate swaths of people uh, in, in order to get your point across. And you make a good point, Jeff, is that a, a lot of this coverage has happened. A lot of this particular issue is, uh, is, is front and center finally. And, and I agree with you, John, is that, that this ship has sailed a little bit. It's like, there's not a lot of, there's not a lot of energy left in, right. in getting, you know, totally flustered and bent out of shape over this thing. There's going to be a lot of people that aren't happy about it, but it's, it's sort of that muted thing. Like, all right, I'm just, I'm not happy about, 
a lot of things. I'm just going on with my life. I'm not going to scream and shout about it anymore. Yeah. Um, and so I, you know, but, but while I think that's a good idea, Jeff, and the spirit behind it, I embrace you know, I don't unfortunately think that's going to happen. Neither I think do they're going to, you know, do it as often as they can, because unfortunately, more than likely, there's probably going to be more incidents happening in the future. Although, although, may, you know, maybe not. Maybe there is some real, real energy in terms of getting under some systemic problems with uh, with police departments, including just tra- just de-escalation training. Let's just start there. You know, I Let's thought... just start with de-escalation training. And maybe if that's, if that is, because, you know, I've read that it's like about a 10, I've read that it's like 10% of the overall training, that they spend 40% learning how to shoot a gun, 10% learning how to not shoot, <laughs> if you will. And, um, and, and maybe that, if, Maybe if just that changes and a couple of other things, I don't know. Maybe that maybe there maybe there will actually have been progress with this thing. Um, but in terms of the issue I brought up, I think I agree with John more than more than you at this point, Jeff. I, I put Lenny's comment up there because I wasn't sure if that was his suggestion on how to fix it or if that was a <laughs> guess for uh, the progressive trivia. Really, he put up Jesus, so uh, he's going to have to narrow that one down for me. But, it, but I'll tell you this right now: it or is Jesus. no one named Jesus, or Jesus, it is no one named. It's right. We either need to we need to find Jesus, or he's guessing Jesus for the progressive trivia. <laughs> uh, either way, I disagree with both. Mark, moving on, your next question. Fair enough. Fair enough. I do think Jesus is the answer. By the way, all right. What should do? What will? What would you do? Or what should happen? What will happen? Let's talk about Major League Baseball. Let's take. Let's talk about what will happen. What do you think will happen, John, in the end with Major League Baseball? And what do you think should happen with Major League Baseball? Well, it seems, and, and again, I'm just going to go on what I've heard reported, and of course, that's been all over the place um, because baseball obviously is. Uh, we haven't had as many leaks as I think people thought they may. Uh, and uh, in addition to that, nobody's really face-to-face with anyone else, so it's much more difficult to get information. So, But given from what I'm hearing now, I, I have to say I'm a little more hopeful. It seems as though, and my guess, if I have to at this point, is uh, wow, is uh, that uh, they will probably play a 60-game season as laid out. I think that I think the owners uh, end up uh, giving in a little bit on on the money. Um, I think the players have given in on the number of games, and I think they'll play a sixty game season um, at full at full prorated salary. At and... full prorated salary, I I think the games will begin without any fans in the stands. But I think baseball is going to look for if indeed it seems as though we plateau. And I know you know again every time we talk about this, it's situation is fungible but uh if it seems nice that word. we plateaued then i think you know into september perhaps uh we get uh we start getting socially distanced fans maybe filling up a, a stadium by a fifth perhaps something on on, on this nature and uh, that's that's what i think will happen uh what i think should probably happen is that they go ahead and have the 60-game schedule. I don't think there's a lot of choice to that now as we keep getting deeper into June. I, 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 you know, Trying to cram in more games than that I think would be very difficult. Um, but I think personally what should happen is they should play all of those games without fans. I, I, oh, would, really? not, I would not take that chance. I would okay. not yep. take that chance. Fair enough. Just yep. on my the way I feel about how the, the virus is going to go with what I think is 
maybe a little too early opening up in some of the things we've seen. That's what yeah. I'd like to see. But I think they will, if they play throughout, don't have too many positive tests, I think that they will definitely uh, try to get people in the stadiums. And I understand that position. It's just not the one I would take knowing the limited amount I know right now. Fair enough. Jeff? What I think will happen is that they will come to some form of an agreement on 60. I think 60 games is where it's going to happen. I think the owners have decided we're, we're doing this with the, uh, with the criticism of possibly playing games later in the year that has come out. I think they see themselves as needing to get it done as quickly as possible. So I think they're going to cap it. Seems the players want more games. The owners have said, no, we're going, we're sticking at 60. What I think, uh, should happen is I think that they're clearly the, the the organization that is having the least amount of success figuring out how they want to proceed. I say uh, they should scrap this season and they should uh, move on into next year. They can find out how uh, how much support they'll have behind not not risking it with the with the disease and uh they can go into am i wrong about collective bargaining we the the collective bargaining agreement would have to be have before have to have to be had before the next season would start no it's for the it's it the it following season bargain next season. year for right. 2022 so yeah. so maybe they scrap this season and they get that collective bargaining uh, underway and get it done before next season starts and uh, so let me ask you jeff uh, do you feel the same way about the nfl and the nhl no i don't think that any other organ i think that i don't think that those guys are having as big a problem getting it together they're they're they've made they've made decisions baseball seems to be the one that that the sides are so far apart and whether it's pettiness or it's actual concern, they don't seem to be the ones that can get it together the most. Okay, so your your idea of scrapping it has nothing to do with uh, the 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 virus no it does it has everything to do with the virus i think i think that i think that the that because of the fact they can't get it together they are the ones that need to shut down and we see uh how much effect the virus has on these other sports and baseball could Mm. end up coming out looking like they did the right thing because they can't come to an agreement well i don't think I, um, i think football and the nhl and the nba they figured it out they're going to do it they're going to do it the way they're going to do it and uh and so they should carry on. Well, it, it's odd to me, uh, personally, because you, if, if, it, if it is about the disease, yeah, that would be a roll of the dice if they don't do anything and these other sports have problems. But it would seem the least likely sport that would need to do it. Number one, it's outside. Football is as well. And number two, it's really not a contact sport unless, you know, so, you play the games like you guys think w- were played, you know, for five or ten years when, when you were, you know, looking at the Buster game and Pelsey all of a sudden everyone's running into everyone. But there, it's not a contact sport. I mean, football, you're on top of each other. Basketball, you're essentially on top of each other. Hockey, you're can be on top of each other. It's 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 interesting. I, I think what will happen, I agree with you guys. I think 60 is good. 60 is just about right. 60 is, is going to make Sort of everyone happy, not perfectly happy, but I think you can move on, have 16-team playoff. Uh, so there's all kinds of teams that are still involved after 60 games, which would be a lot of fun. Yeah, because well. teams, teams like the Giants, you know, and again, here it comes back to San Francisco. Gabe Kapler is their new manager. And remember, well, John, we've talked about this. The last two seasons in Philadelphia, they started out on fire and then yeah. faded in the end. So I think if the Giants 
to the Gabe Kapler model start out on fire. Who who knows what happens? Even wow. though they do not nearly have a great great enough team, but I think Mark, that will happen. What should you're going yes? to hate watching Gabe Kapler manage your team? You're going to hate it. I tell you right now. You've seen a lot of that. I mean, I guess I watched the same a lot of Phillies. I watched a lot of Phillies, and I also am friends with a lot of Phillies fans, and they were not a fan of Gabe Kapler, even no, when he I was know. on I mean, fire. I, I think it was the first series of the first uh, season that he managed. He was already booed in the first series. Now that's Philadelphia, though, too. So I don't know. know they, I, his decisions are Santa very. They throw, He's not a mad scientist like Joe Madden. He's he seems to be more of a Billy Martin style uh, crazy person. All right. Well, I wouldn't. I would take that Billy Martin. By the way, before I, I continue with my uh, uh, what will happen, what should happen, John Tom Marino has chimed in. <sighs> yeah, he got it right. Nice, Tommy. Tommy. How about that? All right. Well, I, I you know I just gave the first set of clues. This is so disappointing. Honestly, this is so disappointing. This could be the worst thing that's happened ever. <laughs> and, and I'm not given to hyperbole. Um, All right. Well, congratulations, Tom Marino. Well, I, I want to quickly wrap up the. Uh, should I should I give the answer? Have we have we figured out what we're going to do with that? Should I give the answer? To yeah, we'll, it's already we'll, been we'll put after, on the screen. After when it's we normally would do screen. progressive again is is when you would give the answer. Yeah, I All think right. so. All right. Let's, I think that's how we did it in the club. You know, so yeah, that's I'm how. Still a, I'm still around for that after this. Yeah, I know you're severely disappointed. The rest oh of the show God. is going Good to suffer Lord. as a result. Is my camera pointing down? Can you see the paper? Good Lord, Marino. So at any rate, I think what will happen. I agree with both you guys. I think uh, I don't think they should shut down the season at all, and I think. Uh, I think what should happen is, um, you know, I, I, I think what should happen is what will happen because that's what has, you know, that's what I don't think anything else. Do, do I think it should be a half a season? Do I think it should be 80 games? I, I think it ideally could be, uh, but I think it will happen. I think there will be people and I think there should be. This is where I disagree with you, John. I, I think there should be people. I mean, there's outdoor dining. In yeah. New York City, the epicenter of the of the of the virus, there was all those protests, and and the the data is that it, it hasn't really spiked in those cities. Uh, you know, outdoor with mask, social distancing, which maybe is a fifth to your point, maybe it's a third. Who knows what it is? But I don't know why it's outdoors. We wear a mask. I don't know. I, I'm not sure why we would be worried about that, considering that New York City. Has now now granted it might it might all go pear shaped here you know Bobby and I are going to be out there going woo and you know next week we're here you may be you know you, you may be saying sad you know, news saying, from saying your <laughs> sad so, news after further review fans uh, so then, anyway I think that's I think that's what should happen I think they should bring fans back um, as soon as they as soon as they can frankly because if they start the season mid July. I don't. I don't know why you wouldn't do that, even with the the numbers spiking. Because as we pointed out earlier, there may be some herd immunity happening here, and there Possibly. may be. You know, we don't know. To your point, we don't know, but and that's what I think should happen. And it's and it's ever changing. You know, a, a lot it of is. The, the models and the projections and things that we're learning. Um, and there have been some, I it guess, some medical breakthroughs and stuff. So just going, I'm just going on what I know right now, and that is that I it, and the reason I say what what should happen is, would I feel comfortable going to a major yes. baseball game? I would not. I would not feel comfortable doing that. Now, well, you are. 
pretty severely immune, immunocompromised. So. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Uh, well, Sorry, I'm kicking you when you're down, brother. You really, I, you really I, are. I apologize this makes you that. so happy. No, Did you no, see no. it earlier and you texted to Tom's just so let's let's bury Pilkey. <laughs> bury him. Not at all. Not at all. All right. Well, let's do it. Let's it's progressive trivia time. Give everyone the first four clues and then give us the answer. All right. Uh, the first four clues were this 20 plus years in the major leagues playing for five teams, 2,500 plus hits, 1,100 plus RBIs, 250 plus home runs. That was I thought that was a good clue because it gave you an idea. Not a power hitting guy. Really? Right. Right. Uh, played only one season of his 20-plus, and it was 22, I believe, um, in the American League. Uh, played with Davey Lopes and Ray Knight, and the answer was Joe Morgan. And and are you doing that, Jeff? Putting it on the board like that? Yes. That's that is awesome. sweet. That yeah, looks really so good. So good. Congratulations to Tommy. I, should I go through the rest of the clues, or do we just save them for another progressive trivia? No, no, no. There are I a couple think, of fun things here. I think you should. That's what we normally did at the club. Okay. We went through the rest of the clues. Now, was it the Oakland A's? Was that the team he was yes. on for one season? Yeah. Yes, it was. Yeah, that was okay. it. Okay. You know, I'm an East Coast guy, so I had no memory of that. So I thought that clue, ah, nobody will work that out. I'm sure that's part of what helped, happened, uh, helped Tommy out. All right, here comes the second set of well, the rest of the clues, actually, for Joe Morgan was he played in 11 postseason series. In those, in that postseason, his batting average was 182. 182 overall, overall batting average. Wow, that is that, that would have thrown people that would have thrown people off. But he did steal 15 bases in the postseason. Um, he's in two different baseball teams' Hall of Fames, and he's a five-time Golden Glover. He was a back-to-back. National League MVP. He's a 10-time All-Star, won multiple World Series. He's in the Hall of Fame, and it is the great Joe Morgan. So there great you go. Joe Morgan. Love Joe Morgan. Love that Loved guy. him as a player. Loved him as a broadcaster. Yeah, me too. Me too. Totally. And boy, I tell you, the, 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 the trade that brought him in from Houston, because he started out with the Houston Colt 45s, which became the Houston Astros, and the trade uh, that brought him to uh, – to Cincinnati was thought to be, you know, they thought Houston had kind of won in that trade. And I don't remember everybody involved, but I do know that in that trade, the Reds got uh, Joe Morgan, Cesar Geronimo, and Jack Billingham in that trade, yeah. who were big yeah. reasons that they became the big red machine. So that was a, that was one of the best trades any front office in baseball ever made. Now, I'll give you a little hint because I've, uh, you know, begun the, uh, the research for the Big Red Machine. They were actually coined that, believe it or not, in 1969. Okay. And uh, in 1970, they had the big year. And uh, the big player they traded was Lee May. Right. Lee, Lee May was the guy, as, 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 uh, as, as, uh, as mentioned. And, uh, right. But, yeah, I'll tell you, what the Reds got in return, they used to dominate the rest of the decade. There's no Just, doubt about that. And, yeah. Uh, We'll get into that in just a, in uh, well a week from Friday is when the next deep dive is and it'll be on the big red machine and I cannot wait I'm having a great time doing that all right now right now Tom Marino uh, you know was very happy with the production level with with uh, you know the Tom Marino there he's very happy with the production level <laughs> and um, I think hopefully this is impressive as well because we're going to do. Uh, the top 10 Super Bowl quarterbacks. We've often ranked the top 10 quarterbacks of all time, but we're just looking at Super Bowl production in and of itself. And yes, John, you have a question. <laughs> I just want to say, for, no, I do not have a question. I'm not you, but I just, well, you know me, I like to set the table for people. I, I always like to, you know, I like to make sure everybody knows context. 
Yeah. Jeff and I haven't seen – well, Jeff may have. I haven't seen these. I don't know. No, no one has. All right. I haven't, so. I haven't even seen these. No, I'm just oh, kidding. Oh, okay. I've seen I, these. That wouldn't surprise me. You jobbed it out to somebody else. <laughs> I jobbed it out to my son to put together the PowerPoint. Right. I was going to say and some sort of unpaid intern, but that's redundant. You would have that's had to what it is. job it out to somebody who was paying you to do the work. That would be the only way you would find an underling. So uh, I'll tell you, this is this is going to be okay. It is a PowerPoint. We'll see what happens. So Jeff, uh, if let's see, what do I need to do? Okay, oh, I don't want you to share the screen quite yet. And we're gonna. I'll tell you when we want to share the screen. We can start sharing the screen now. So here we go. Oh, fancy! Now, can you? Can I? Is there a way for me to see myself? Or no, probably not at this point in time. I can't do it. All I'm seeing is the. Uh, is the thing. So here we go. Super Bowl top and quarterbacks. Number 10. All we need is a drum roll on uh, some sort of IR, and we'll get to that. Number 10, Doug Williams. All right. I did this for you, Johnny. I, I did this all for you. There's uh, a few. The, the, the only criteria I, I threw in there is that you had to have won a Super Bowl MVP as okay. a quarterback. Okay. You, that's the bottom line. You had to at least have done that one time. And obviously, Doug Williams did that. There's a few guys out there that didn't make this grade, and there's one in particular that, that didn't quite make it, that got an MVP and had a spectacular Super Bowl. Uh, but I had to bring this guy up because it was such a turning point to me in in the National Football League, in the consciousness of sports fans, if you ask me, because black quarterbacks, frankly, were even in the mid to late 80s, were still viewed as not having the necessities. I mean, the whole right. Al Campanis thing was in 1987 as well. Well, there's great so, audio of the of Hall of Famer Sam Huff, who was on the radio broadcast for the Redskins uh, for that game, um, saying and having to say this in January of 1988, you know, I hope this puts to rest for good the myth about the black quarterback. So, I mean, he had to, he literally had to say that on the broadcast in 1988. So you're right, Mark, that, that is a, that was a prejudice against black quarterbacks that uh, continued and probably with a lot of people, even into the nineties, but he shattered a lot of that with that performance he in did. the Super Bowl. They were down 10, nothing. I think they came in as either even odds or maybe a little bit, underdogs because remember the Washington Redskins were 11 and five that year and they were only uh, 11 and four I should say because that was a strike short in the season yeah. and really they were only eight and four in the regular season because they were three and though in the strike short in, in the uh you know the games that were with the with the um scabs or scrubs or whatever you want to call them and and they weren't necessarily picked to get to the Super Bowl the 49ers were the dominant team that year and got upset by the Minnesota Vikings. And so he gets to this game, and here's John Elway. He's already been in two Super Bowls at this point. No, he's already been uh, just one Super Bowl. Didn't do very well. But now back-to-back, -back, the Broncos are back. They've had back-to-back -back classic AFC championship games. And here's John Elway making his mark, 10 nothing, And Doug Williams, four touchdowns, four touchdowns in the second quarter, and the game is over. He's our number 10 all-time Super Bowl quarterback. And, and the guy who has to get an honorable mention, John and Jeff, is Phil Simms, who was, I think, 23 of 25, something along that line. I mean, his percentage was unbelievable. His passer rating was like 150. He threw yeah. for three touchdowns, no interceptions. But I just 
I, I obviously the social justice thing had a factor, but the other factor sports wise, NFL wise, is that he played for a juggernaut team. That 1986 Giants team yeah, was just a just a uh, just a, a click below that 1985 Bears team in terms of how dominant they were the entire season and the entire postseason. And so I give I give him a little less credit because he was surrounded by such an amazing team. So, but I will give him an honorable mention on that. Doug, Number nine. Doug Williams, Doug Williams didn't even start that entire season for the Redskins. He was in a quarterback it, battle with Jay Schrader throughout. So that makes that performance even more remarkable. Sorry, don't I, want to take up all your time on this. No, one. no it's okay. I want, I want your comments. That's what we want. We want the comments. Now, I can't see anything on this uh, screen except this. Can any what what can everyone else see? Is that all everyone else? I can sees, see Jeff? all of us to the left of the screen. Uh, the I can't do that, and I it's no, because... I, I because your screen is what you're seeing. So unfortunately, yeah. that's that's just the way it's going to have to be for you, bud. All right. So, but you can see. Can you see the comments as well? I uh, yes, yes. Great. Uh, let's do number nine. Steve Young. And this is another guy just with one one performance and makes the cut because he had six touchdowns, John, and no interceptions. That yeah. still hasn't been touched. Uh, 350 yards, just a, a remarkable performance, got the MVP, obviously. And, uh, you know, there were a few, like I said, there were a few quarterbacks that just just had one Super Bowl appearance but made such an impression that they made it. Uh, you know, I, I just had to go with that six touchdowns. It's yeah, still it's a record. Well, hard I, to, to argue against it. I would have loved to have seen Steve Young against Pittsburgh Steelers that year in the Super Bowl. Yes. I think that would have been, you know, uh, San Diego. And, a better and, game. And and good for them, frankly, for getting there. I like that San Diego team. I thought they were scrappy, and it was good to see. But they just could not uh, hang with the Niners that year. But uh, Steve Young, certainly six touchdowns. I How do you keep him out of the top ten? I don't think you, you can. Uh, you, you really can. Number eight. Ooh, Roger Staubach, Johnny. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, he played in four. Two and two. He was he was two and two. Uh, he really played very well. Even in seventy five, when he threw two touchdowns and three interceptions, yeah, that was a very close, great game. He he had a great game in seventy one against the Dolphins. His second game was in seventy five. It was a very close uh, loss to you know the team of the 70s, 77. Played very well against the Broncos. Yeah, and in '78 they lost to the uh, to the Steelers again, but he had three touchdowns in that. No, game. he was great in the '78, uh, the Super Bowl, January '79. That '78 Super Bowl, he was he was terrific. He, so he played well enough seasons, to win that game. He yeah, well in eight game. seasons he got to four Super Bowls. One, two, had eight touchdowns in those games. In a pass, it was not a pass friendly league in the '70s. Uh, he. It made a lot happen in that 78 Super Bowl as well on the ground. He had over 30 yards uh, as, a, as a rusher. He just made so many things happen as a quarterback, and he was so iconic in the 1970s. It's like yeah. every time you look up, there's Roger Staubach right. uh, in, in the Super Bowl. So I would put him at number eight. I thought that might be a tad controversial, but what are your thoughts? Uh, no, I don't think that's controversial at all. And uh, the other thing you throw in about Staubach is in 1970, the Dallas Cowboys went to the Super Bowl, and uh, he was the only player on the team who didn't get on the field um, right. in maybe the worst-played Super Bowl in the history, maybe the worst-played football game in the history of uh, organized football. Um, I agree, and he, including he made, high school sports. It was, it was, it was, it was not a good, well-played game, um, but he could have even added to that. Yeah, and Staubach, uh, you know, 78 
certainly. And I'm no Cowboy fan as a Redskin fan. In 78, he played well enough to win. He plays well really anybody on the field, frankly. That, that was a great game. Number seven. There you go. Now, for him to be above Jim Plunkett, I mean, for him to be above Roger Staubach, uh, maybe somewhat controversial, but he went to two Super Bowls, won two Super Bowls, uh, won an MVP, and so he's 2-0. and And by virtue of him being 2-0, and he's the only 2-0 and quarterback um, that is not in the Hall of Fame that has been to two Super Bowls, won both of those games. He led a, uh, a, a Raiders team in 1983 that demolished your Washington Redskins, and uh, I believe... I believe that was about a pick 'em game as well, because earlier in the season both teams had met, and I think the uh, I think the Redskins beat the Raiders by maybe they one did. point or two points. They did. And, I think Washington was slightly favored in that game. That was a better Washington team than the one that won the Super Bowl the year before. And in really. 1980, the Philadelphia Eagles were favored as well because yeah. the Raiders were a wild card team, and Jim Plunkett won the MVP in that. I'm I'm talking if we just if we just relegate it to Super Bowls. He is one of the best Super Bowl quarterbacks in history. He, he really is. He, yeah, he really is. And we, we've talked about that. We talked with uh, Randy Bataha here on the show a couple of weeks ago, who was wide receiver with Plunkett at both at Stanford and with uh, the New England Patriots. Um, he just has one of those careers, Mark, where there were just long stretches where he played on very bad football teams and was uh, beaten beaten up a lot he was as tough a guy who ever played the position and uh he just boy talk about meeting your moment jim plunkett wasn't supposed to be the starting quarterback for that raiders team in 1980 that ends up winning the super bowl dan pastorini gets hurt plunkett who sat on the bench the year before didn't see any time really uh stepped in played well played incredibly well and then super bowl mvp and then that team with plunkett hangs around for a, a couple more years wins another Super Bowl and is a is a contender. It's um, throughout that period of time. I think he's one of the most underrated players in NFL history. I agree with that, Jeff. Uh, we've had ten, nine, eight, and seven so far. Any any thoughts, disagreements, any comments out there that are just throwing me under the bus? I'm blind here. No, 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 no. Everybody. Uh, the only comment on you was the that uh, Lenny wanted you to know that you look fine. That you don't need to worry about it that i that i what but uh what did lenny want me to know you look fine yeah you look fine you don't have to worry about Uh, the fact that you can't see yourself you look great oh that's sweet that's sweet yeah (laughs) tom tom marino is uh is letting us know that rod martin had three interceptions in that game and didn't win mvp it's true that's true that is true and Max McGee should have been i mean started for super bowl one quarterbacks get more of a nod than they should max McGee should have been the MVP of Super Bowl one, but it went that, to Bart Starr. That that is a great call about uh, about Rod Martin and about that Raiders defense that just shut down that Philadelphia offense, which was quite powerful uh, during the nineteen eighty season. So you, you're okay with everything thus far, Jeff, in terms of the the numbers. You don't have too many problems with it thus far. We'll see if that holds up, though. <laughs> All right, number six, Eli. I don't know how you don't put them in in here. He's two and zero as well. Two Super Bowl MVPs. This guy should be a Hall of Famer. It'd be it'd be silly if he isn't. He may he may or may not get in on the first ballot, but I think it's a lock that he's going to be in the Hall of Fame at one point in time. And he beat the heavily favored right. New England Patriots in in the 07 season. I think they were double digit favorites, John. If I'm not mistaken, maybe maybe a touchdown, maybe eight. 
but they were heavily favored. They were 18 and 0. The the New York Giants limp into the playoffs at 10 and 6. And in in 2011 they do the same thing. They have to go on the road as a wild card, win the game. Now the only difference with 07 and 08 is that in 07 they they were a wild card so they had to play 3 games before the Super Bowl. All those games were on the road. Every single one of them. Mm-hmm. It was Tampa Bay, it was Dallas, it was Green Bay. And in 11, they had to play three games, but the first game was at home. But then they had to go to the 15-1 and Green Bay Packers in Green Bay in January. They win that game. They get a little lucky when they go to San Francisco uh, because of the couple of muffed punts. Uh, but they get into the Super Bowl, and they beat the favored New England Patriots again. And in terms of clutch performances, in terms of just isolating to what you do in the Super Bowl, Eli Manning is right outside the top five in terms of Super Bowl quarterbacks. In my mind, your thoughts, John Pelkey? Yeah, I I can't argue with that. I think Eli, it's interesting. He's kind of, and you know, the, the guys that he sort of reminded me uh, of were a guy like Kenny Stabler and comes to mind initially. Um, in and of the fact that uh, John Madden always used to say about Kenny Stabler that he he was at his best when the pressure was the greatest, and he would get bored at other times, literally, with the game. And I don't think Eli necessarily got bored with the game, but I think under normal circumstances, in regular season, generally, uh, Eli Manning is a uh, a good to very good quarterback. But in the tightest situations, when I think – People, Eli, if you've, if you've ever met him, if you've ever interviewed him, and I have, it, um, his personality is just this really sort of even strain um, personality. And I think maybe it didn't do him a service a lot of times in regular season um, when it seemed as though he maybe wasn't, uh, and I don't think he wasn't um, engaged. I just think, you know, that's, he, he played up to the level of the game and, uh, you put him in big games. Brother Peyton never won a game against Florida his whole time at Tennessee. Eli won two games against the Gators, including one in the swamp with a with a much less talented team than Florida had. I just think Eli Manning is one of those uh, is one of those guys. And if I had one Super Bowl to win, yeah, and I got to pick from the Manning family, <laughs> cool. I mean, I don't think that's that's a no brainer. Peyton would be I'm- third. Uh, Archie would be Archie would be second. Okay, uh, and 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 Eli would be number one. But I think Peyton. I, I just, uh, excuse me. I think Eli Manning uh, certainly deserves to be where he, he is. I mean, he's it's the equivalent of you know if if somebody had beaten the Green Bay Packers in a championship game during that that long run right. twice. Yes. Yes, yes. So that's good. Yeah, if Len Dawson would have done that, it would have pulled one out of out of the hat, you know, or uh, Daryl LaMonica. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, then, yeah, they 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 would be they would be considered a top ten Super Bowl quarterback of all time. Yeah. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Jeff, are you okay with this? Can I move on? Absolutely. Uh, he, I mean, he's one of the very few blemishes in Tom Brady's career. Like he's undefeated against him in Super Bowls. Yeah, no doubt about it. Number five, the aforementioned Bart Starr, and the you know it's it's such a long time ago when this guy played that. When they took pictures of him, they didn't even they didn't even include his whole head. No, no. so so sad. There it, is no full body picture of Bart Starr during game. <laughs> there, there is there's nothing that, that was not invented until 1972 after he'd retired. So, 
And, and look at all those men in the background with ties on. With, I know. With their shirts t- all the way there, long sleeve, all the way down with ties. It's just a different day, a different time. Right. 67 was when it all changed, John, when, is when the, when the culture wars that we are now still fighting. 66 uh, was the pivot started. year. 66 yep. was the pivot year. We've yep. talked I, about that. We, we might do a deep dive on that one, one show. I love that. Bart Starr called all of his own plays in both of the Super Bowls that they played in, and the Packers generally dominated. Certainly Kansas City gave them a good first half in that first Super Bowl. Um, but Bart Starr was just, I mean, he was the archetype that you wanted in the 1960s as a quarterback. Incredibly accurate. He had a strong arm, but he wasn't rocket armed. He wasn't a Sonny Jurgensen or, or any some other guys who were his contemporaries, like Roman Gabriel, guys with really big arms. Um, but he was an unquestioned leader, very, very smart, and uh, just a, a tough guy, and a guy who I, was a really low-round draft choice. Um, right. For, He's way down the list back when they used to have 16 rounds. I mean, I think he was, you know, I think he was 11th or 12th round uh, who flourished under the most micro, the the biggest microscope you could find in football, which is starting quarterback for a Vince Lombardi coached football team. Yeah, so no doubt about it. A lot of respect for Bart Starr. Two MVPs as well, John Pelkey, two MVPs for the guy that the two first Super Bowls. And two MVPs. You've got to. I, I think you got to put him in the top five. You do. And I don't know if anyone w- would have a problem with that. Uh, Jeff, problem? <laughs> Negative. I mean, I don't remember these days. It's uh, before my time. Right. But from what I hear, you're a great quarterback. <laughs> okay. Very good. This is the kind and of picture they would take. He played in three and won two championships before the Super Bowl as well. So it's like you know, Bart Starr was yeah really starting on the downside of his career in 1966. Yeah, and and he had won. I mean, it, you know, the equivalent of the Super Bowl. He, had, he won five Super Bowls in seven years, yeah. essentially. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, you've got to, you've got to put him in the top five. Number four, second Cowboy quarterback, only one MVP, but three and O, John. Yeah. And the only game he didn't play amazingly perfect is in that second Buffalo game, which was the second Super Bowl he played in. Uh, struggled a little bit in that first half. Uh, but dominated in the first game and dominated in the third game uh, against the Steelers, even though that was a closer game. Uh, three and zero. I mean, he, he he's he's three and zero as a Super Bowl quarterback. Yeah, I don't know. How, I don't know how you put him any lower than number four. No, and it's it's unfortunate for Aikman. I think sometimes because people look around and they go, "Oh my God!" Well, he had the Great Wall of Dallas up front, and they were certainly the dominant offensive line of their era. He had Emmitt Smith, the leading rusher in NFL history, he had Michael Irvin, and then the the guys that they had as second and third receivers uh, were were terrific as well. There was so much talent. I think sometimes Aikman gets um, the short shrift because people are just like, "Well, you know, anybody could have had success." And you know what? You could have had lesser quarterbacks than Troy Aikman who probably could have had success with that team. But I don't think they would have been as good as as Aikman. He's uh another guy who is a lot tougher than he ever got credit for. And you're right about that third Super Bowl. The Buffalo defense was the story of the first half of that Super Bowl. And they really did shut down Troy Aikman. Second half, Emmett Smith sort of took over that game. It became about yeah. the, run, the running game. So that was a, a decent performance by Aikman. But the first two are, um, you know, yeah, first and, first and, third, first and yeah. third, excuse me, are remarkable. Yeah. And, you know, three and oh, uh, it's, 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 he, he, he doesn't get the credit 
that he deserves. But I, as a 49er fan, I got to see him up close a lot during that yeah. time, and it was very frustrating because the 49ers played the Cowboys in the 92 championship game and lost, 93 championship game and lost, 94 championship game and won. But then, of course, the Cowboys go on and win another Super Bowl in 95. And I will tell you, in terms of third down, playoff, clutch, stakes couldn't be higher, third down passing, it's, it just seemed like he couldn't miss. It seemed like he could not miss on third down. Niners could never get off the field with this guy. And I know that's not the Super Bowl, but it's the kind of player he was in, in yeah. the early to mid-90s. No one, no one could touch him, and I think he deserves to, be, uh, to, deserves to be in the top five, number four. All right, number three. Four and oh, man. And two, and, and two MVPs. Yeah, Terry Bradshaw, again, talk about a guy who overshadowed because he was on a football team that was you know, littered with Hall of Famers at, at, at a point. Yeah, how um, many Hall of Famers were on that team, John? 136. Yeah, that's Hall a lot. Of Famers that's on that, that team. That, that would qualify. Guys, who, guys who were cut in preseason and never played it down for the Steelers, inducted into the Hall of Fame. I, I, I'm pretty sure that's true. Yeah, oh, yeah, I'm sure it's um, true. Now, Bradshaw never gets enough credit. Certainly, you know, the early 74, um, it, they were, that was a defensive football team that won a defensive Super Bowl, and uh, that was not a performance that you, was an MVP-type performance necessarily in, in 74. Um, but after that, they relied on Bradshaw a lot in those games, and uh, those were very, very good Dallas Cowboy defenses that they beat in those Super Bowls. Yeah, so, and I mean, the Minnesota Vikings had the the Purple People Eaters. They beat yeah. them. and uh, But they largely know. just kept the ball away from Minnesota with the running game. And then that Steeler defense was uh, – Minnesota just didn't have the, didn't have the horses. And, Another quarterback and, could have won that game. I don't know if they'd have won the other three. And and you ha- it's important to note that in '74 he he barely had the starting job. He had to compete with uh, Jim Gilliam and Terry Hanratty, and it was it was not even it, it was not a foregone conclusion that he would be ending up starting the Super Bowl. It's it's amazing the the career path of Terry Bradshaw is remarkable, and the way he finishes it with those two MVPs in '78 and '79, and essentially eschewing all classic Pittsburgh Steeler offensive philosophy in that last Super Bowl against the Rams, which is where this picture was taken, and just throwing over the top of that Ram defense, which was a great defense and playing very well at the time. Terry Bradshaw, 4-0, four, four oh, John. Yeah. I mean, how, people, do you not, how do you not put him right, right there? To your point, people don't remember that John Gilliam would have been the starting quarterback for that entire season if, uh, if there did hadn't I, been. Did I say Jim Gilliam? You, you did. It's okay. Uh, people, don't, people won't remember. But uh, much like much like Doug Williams, there were large periods of the season uh, for that Pittsburgh Steeler team where the guy who ended up yeah. winning the Super Bowl and becoming MVP uh, or winning the Super Bowl, I should say, uh, wasn't the guy they expected to be the starter. And and this is after Bradshaw had you know won a playoff game with the immaculate reception and everything else. I mean, he had broken through that glass ceiling that yep. the Steelers had been in for thirty or forty years or whatever it was. I don't think they had a postseason before nineteen seventy two, if I'm not mistaken. So uh, this guy is a remarkable quarterback. All right, number two, number two. Here we go, number two. Tom Brady. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> 
Uh, <laughs> in, Homer. In, in the Buccaneer, in the Buccaneer uh, helmet and jerseys, the best part of this entire thing. It, it, it is. It is. It's it's my favorite thing ever at this point in time. Like your worst thing ever was Tom Marino getting <laughs> Joe Morgan. My favorite thing ever uh, is not only putting him number two, and I, and I know this is a this is this is an argument to be had, but we've talked about this. Uh, Tom Brady does have four MVPs, by the way. Right. That's more than anyone else. He's won six. Oh, by the way. And uh, he's he has every possible Super Bowl record there is um, because he's a compiler in the Super Bowl. Let's face it. He's been to nine. So, I mean, I mean, who wouldn't have who wouldn't have broken all the records at that point? No, I love Tom Brady. I do think he's the best quarterback of all time. I will give him that more than Joe Montana. But in terms of Super Bowl performance and there's the stat that in the end doesn't push Joe Montana over the top for best overall time best quarterback of all time but that stat to me pushes him to number one in the super bowl but tom brady say what you want the guy is phenomenal he's not a system quarterback he is he is the best quarterback of all time but he's number two when it comes to best super bowl quarterbacks of all time and again i i am just so pleased with myself that i picked that picture to uh to represent tom brady sorry about that but uh it's We're- the little things in life john your thoughts tom brady number two Okay. That's so my you, thought. I you don't agree. Well, listen, I know 122 pass attempts without an interception and if you uh, agree with the adage and I do that uh, turnovers will kill you and that's one of the big reasons you lose football games is giving people extra uh uh extra drives, uh, extra possession, then um I I see where you're going. You have saying, forever argued that Joe Montana is the, the overall best quarterback of all time because right. of that stat. Right. And now we've narrowed this list to just that venue where that stat is applicable. And now you're backing off? Makes no sense to me. Well, I just think seeing him in that uniform changes things for me. <laughs> it, uh, it changes things for me. Sure. You know, it one a, a perspective you didn't have before. 1A and 1B, but in the end. I agree. In the end, 6 you know, how many more attempts at passes, you know, 122 for Montana, and Brady has probably 300-ish. Uh, uh, more. I would say probably more. Yeah, probably maybe more. So, uh, okay, I you know, I, I know the way this show goes. I, I knew where this was headed. I knew where this was headed. Again, John, you have said forever that you think Joe Montana is better than Tom Brady because of that Super Bowl stat. I usually say that around Patriots fans. You know. All right. Uh, Jeff, do you you agree that I I, I made a mistake here? I'm playing the rest of this game under protest. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Wow. Wow. I completely, I understand that sentiment. My goodness. All right, here we go. Number one, as if anyone didn't know, Joe Montana. 122. We buried the lead on that one. 122 passes, no interceptions in the Super Bowl. Played at his best when it matters most. If we're talking strictly Super Bowl, you know he was four and zero. Yeah. Uh, Tom is six and three. Tom has many many picks in the Super Bowl, including a pick six, at least one pick six. Uh, yes, he had the great comeback against Atlanta. Yes, he's got four MVPs, but Joe Montana has three. And probably would have had four if not for a spectacular performance by Jerry Rice in Super Bowl 23, where he had yeah. 11 catches and 200 something yards. Um, 
I do think it's I do think it's highly reasonable to say one A and one B with this. I don't think it's reasonable to say one A and one B with best quarterback of all time. I think clearly it's Tom Brady, mm-hmm. and then Joe Montana is number two. But in terms of strictly Super Bowl play, I think it's fair for one A and one B, and has nothing to do with me being a homer. It has nothing, nothing to do with that. Nothing at all. Nothing at all. Yeah, it's again you can uh, you can look at uh, Joe Montana. You played in four Super Bowls, and you can just basically say that, uh, you know, I don't have enough enough information on him because Brady played in nine Super Bowls. I mean, that's it, it's it, it's inconceivable, first of all, to, to put that into a number that he played in nine Super Bowls. I agree. Um, um, and that's so, what I'm talking about overall quarterback. I think he's clearly number one. That's not 1A and 1B. In terms now, let me, can of I ask time. you this question? Can I yeah. ask you this question? I, I will also say, say this about Brady. I think Brady played against, and again, he played nine. So he played against better defenses across the board in most of his Super Bowl games than Montana did. I don't think anybody argues that the 81 Cincinnati Bengal defense was a particularly great defense. That team won more on offense with Ken Anderson. Um, and then 88 and 89, good Lord, there wasn't even a, there weren't even contests in that game. Um, well, 89, 88 was the second. Uh, what is it, 84? With, with the, oh, 84 with Miami, excuse me, 84 and yeah. 89. Yeah, and 88, 88 was a good game. Um, but if you look at, you know, both of those Giants defenses that uh, that uh, Brady lost to were, were, were pretty damn good football teams. They were yeah, pretty good and, defenses. And I wouldn't say the Philadelphia defense was uh, – was great at all because there was only one punt in the entire game. Right. No, that one. Was. But I, but I would say, you know, I mean, I would say that Atlanta defense under Dan Quinn, at pretty least good. up until that point, was pretty darn good. Yeah. And I would say that Carolina defense was pretty darn good. They were. Uh, I, I wouldn't say the Rams. They certainly weren't known for their defense no. in that first Super Bowl. No. And um, and then the second Rams game, you know, obviously the Rams played pretty good defense in that, but. Uh, you know, you're right. I mean, I think when there's not, to, to your point, you know, sample size with anyone else compared right. compared to uh, to Tom Brady, it's it, it's it's a tough call. But unlike any other one, and and you know, uh, again, t- Joe Montana has the second most amount of MVPs and no interception. He certainly has a large sample size for the Super Bowl in and of itself. Now, Jeff, can you stop sharing, or do I have to do the stop sharing myself? What do we have to do here? Or can you go back to just our normal conversation so I can see myself and see everyone? Because now I'm getting, you, I'm getting you, scared. You you have to close the, the PowerPoint, but I went back to sharing uh, the three of us. Okay. So I've, 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 oh, so I just go back here and we're fine. Okay, there we go. All right, gents, that's it. We're at 110. So we wanted to talk some other some other stuff. We wanted to talk uh, some NBA. Uh, we, we've tried to get to this in the last couple of shows. Some of the protocols they're putting in place and then adding to that some of the concerns players are having, not only with safety and the uptick in cases in Florida, but also in what they're going to do social justice-wise in terms of any protests or in terms of any just uh, focus. Well, uh, I definitely I think, think we can push that to – I think we can push that to Wednesday just because yeah. we've already had a couple of players, uh, at least one that I know that said they, they weren't going to be taking part. We may see a little bit more of that as guys, uh, uh, you know, a number of guys we talked about before have expressed their, uh, that they're uncomfortable with the situation. So uh, this is a story that's just going to, we're just going to keep getting added to, frankly. 
Uh, and uh, good, good old Tom Reno mentioned sixty yards rushing that Joe Montana had against the uh, the Miami Dolphins. So, but he also did say it was a shocker. All right, so that will do it for us. We've done our progressive trivia. Uh, there was there was some mention about perhaps we didn't say the progressive trivia answer. I did, uh, Joe Morgan. A couple, no, a couple of episodes ago, the one before the deep dive, which was Dale uh-huh. Murphy. Just in case oh, anyone was listening really? to thirty, I thought we talked about Dale Murphy quite a bit. I did too. I did as well. Oh, and I do want to make a call from our deep dive. Uh, uh, our good friend Lenny reached out and said that I had misstated. And in fact, I had I had it written down correctly, but I said it wrong when I said that 1974 versus the Mets was the first time there was a weekday night game in uh, the World Series. What it was, it was the first World Series where every weekday game was a night game. They had done oh. it in 71, but every, which, you know, still seems very weird to me. They're playing afternoon games, you know, that late into the uh, 70s, but it was indeed 74. So that was the correct thing. So I apologize for misstating, had it written down correctly and then said it wrong. And wait till you get to your deep dive, Mark. And you're, you may even have more information than I do. It's so difficult to know what to focus on. Well, I agree. And that's, that's my thought right now is like, how do I, how do I frame this? How do I now you have to go back to 69? You know, you were thinking probably when you started, you said, ah, you know, I'll jump in around 74 or everything. Oh, 72. No, 69 is interesting because yeah. they had a, they had a good, they had a good year and the manager was fired. Interestingly enough, after, uh, you know, they were well above five, about 14 games over 500. And they had done that for a couple of years in a row. So very interesting. The, uh, the origins of the Big Red Machine, and then what happens with the Big Red Machine, including that 1972 trade as well. That will be coming up a week from Friday. Anyway, uh, and anything else? Uh, we're, we're about to wrap this up. Any thoughts, Jeff? Were you happy with our production? I thought you did a nice job with helping share the screen and all that. I thought that was nice. I could I could up my PowerPoint game, certainly, but I thought it was okay. No, it was great. I mean, you could also up your ability to rank quarterbacks, but who's, who's, who's asking? <laughs> So it's just it's just two and one. Is that the only thing you would change? Yes. Although, did Kurt Warner win an MVP in that Super Bowl that he played? Because man, was he good he in that Super Bowl? He did. I mean, and, and I, he was considered. He he was considered. Yeah. And, and he played pretty well against the Steelers as well. Although he threw a pick six that, in the end. But really, that Tennessee defense slowed down the greatest show on turf. So he didn't. He did not. He performed well, got an MVP, but did not perform up to the level that he did in the regular season. That is for sure. In that yeah, Super Bowl, he's win. up there. He's an honorable mention as well. That's a good call. And Phil Sims. So, uh, but I think uh, overall the top ten I'm pretty happy with. And I know two and one, you disagree with. As as do you officially, John? Even though somehow Joe Montana is the best quarterback of all time, he's not the best Super Bowl quarterback of all time. I think on further review, after further review, I guess I should say uh, after further review, I have decided that I do believe that Tom Brady is the is the greatest Super Bowl quarterback. Just simply because okay. six wins nine times. That's so. You know. and so that means he's the best quarterback of all time, Tom Brady. I, I think I I would I would argue that Tom Brady at this point is the greatest quarterback of all time. All right, fair enough, fair enough. I thought you would agree with me on that one because of the stat you always bring up with Patriot fans. But no, that's it. That's all right, that does it for our show, our first YouTube show. Thank you to Lenny and Tom. Thanks, guys. Populated our comments, and thank you to Jeff for setting all this up well. John Pelkey, well done, as always. For all of these lovely gentlemen, I'm Mark. You've been listening to After Further Review. Stay safe, everyone. 